Hello everyone, I am Stephen Drew from The Architecture Social and I'm joined here by a fantastic guest who's actually also a moderator on The Architecture Social, Dr. Liz Walder, FRSA, MCIPR, and a wonderful, wonderful doctor uh, who contributes to The Architecture Social. How are you? I'm okay, okay? I'm good, thanks, yeah. So just before this, we had a little debate because I signed up to um, the Royal Society of Arts just before the coronavirus hit in. Yeah. But I can see, I can see you're an FRSA member. But for anyone that doesn't know you, you're more than that. You're a doctor. Of architecture, you're, yeah. Yes. So you're straight away much more cleverer than me. So... <laughs> I've only got five O-levels. Have you? Yeah. 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 Well, that's a turnaround, isn't I'm it? I'm a late developer. What's called a late you, developer. You should... You can tell your, uh, you know, your teacher at the start. You can be look at me now. <laughs> like, wow, Liz, Liz, you've done really well. You're like, that's Doctor Liz to you. I'll have you know. <laughs> um, years when I when I went to teach at the Welsh School of Architecture a couple, um, probably about five years ago now, um, a student came up to me with a question in the middle, you know, interval in the lecture, and she said, Doctor Walder, blah, whatever the question was. And I was listening to this, and I was thinking, you know, Dr. Walder, that sounds a bit grand. Really, it's not really me. I don't want to be called Dr. Walder. So I looked at her, and I said, you can just call me Liz. So she said, okay, Dr. Liz. And after that, it stuck. <laughs> and now, in the, like, the students all call me Dr. Liz. They just, that's just stuck. And my teacher's assistant, talk, and now he, even though neither of us teach at Cardiff anymore, he still texts me, and it just says at the top, Dr. Liz, whatever it is, the question. Well, this is, well, this is what I call you, Dr. Liz. And so let's uh, talk about how we met, actually. So I do a live stream on the Architecture Social, and you were one of the fab guests in the audience which kind of started commenting. And I love that because half of it's conversation. But obviously, having the doctor in at first, I was like, oh, well, we've got to be professional now. We've got to know what we're talking about. I came across but, it by pure chance, really. Um, mm. You know, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I think I've got um, I pay for a profile. Like it might be a navigator profile in LinkedIn. And so I can access more information and search more because I'm using it quite a lot for business connections. And I just came across it one week and I just thought, hey, this looks interesting. Wonder what this is about. And I went in and you were sitting there talking, I think, to Will. And uh, yeah. I thought, this is quite cool. And then after that, um, you you had a thing when you were showing off um, like developments in the field. And I was yeah. like, well, I, I see those kind of things come across my desk because – I do, I'm in touch with a couple of practices that I do a bit of social media for. And I was mm. like, well, I could send you the stories that I, that I come across, uh, if you like. And that's oh, how it yeah. started. Well, this is it. Well, have you seen today? So we've got that area in the architecture social now, Liz. So we can, if you post in the stuff, we'll get it online. But why I love you in the, in the, in the, in, in the audience is because then it adds an air of professionality <laughs> to the architecture show. Um, but just, so apart from um, tuning in then, it's, let's talk a little bit about what you currently do as well. So you, you, you mentioned briefly you taught before. Do you want to fill us in on, on what you're up to right so, now? And So I run a practice part-time called Architecture Matters, and mm -hmm. I registered the name, and I've got the domain name and everything, and I'm trying to build the website. But I haven't really tried to write it. Anyway, that's enough. <laughs> I'm flat out with work in that <laughs> practice, and I work with a collaborator um, it, as well, so do projects with someone else. I teach part-time at Trinity St. David, which is in Swansea. Um, Brilliant. And I've just signed up to run a new initiative 
for the Jordan legacy, which is about design out suicide. Uh, so the emphasis through that is to change the building regs to be more aware of suicide prevention in structures. Um, so I just read part M last night. <laughs> what is part M? What happened? What part happened is, in like um, A to N? Oh, part um, oh. the rest of it is I don't know them all, but you know, there's one on fire, one on ventilation. Um, some of them are like key, like fire after Grenville was reviewed and updated, and mm. they're usually updated on a five year cycle. And there is a devolved responsibility. So that means that there's a fire regulation under the building regs for England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. So if you want to change it, you've got to do it four times. Right. I've got something here for you. And you can you can debunk this or not. But I hear that there was a building in New York or something. And the way it was designed, whether it was accidental or not, but basically everyone started like jumping out and trying to commit suicide. And it was partly because of how awful the building was designed inadvertently and it was one of the precedents i heard about so i'll try to find out if that's real or not dr Liz. I don't know, but there, but is, I... there is a heatherwick building thomas heatherwick building that some people have i think it's called the skull or skeleton or something like that i just saw it flash across the wires earlier today and people and they've stopped construction or they've stopped something to do with it because people are jumping out of it really yeah i can't i can't remember and where it is. Sorry, I get so much. I love in. this. I love this in the podcast. You, you're like doing it live. You're looking at the things now. Um, this is an inf- You've now officially making this an informative <laughs> learning experience. This is probably uh, the first episode. I I'm sorry. I can't, I can't remember the, um, I can't, Don't rem- worry. I can't remember the details of it. I saw it earlier when I was looking for something else and, um, and I, I didn't make a note of it because I didn't know I was going to be asked the question. <laughs> Don't worry. No, we're freestyling. And look, this is about relaxing. We need to relax. There's too much stress. Says, put the keyboard aside. I just want everyone to know the fab Dr. Liz. So, are we, oh, do you know what? we got to do the laboratory as well, aren't we? Yeah, as so well, we set up, the social. Um, Steve and I have set up Dr. Liz's laboratory. And the idea in there is to <laughs> uh, sort of create some mini projects that we can then push out it into bigger, into the social to get people involved. Yeah. In. But it's a sort of like... I don't know, um, like a, a little egg of um, creation. Yeah, it's, there, like, it? it's like your own little studio, the way I see it. And <laughs> I kind of like, you know, we were talking about maybe Excel tables and stuff, but actually people can just post stuff on there and we can we can find a way to categorize it. And I actually I actually know a way that we can categorize. So maybe we move you from a group. Like a kind of incubator, you, uh, isn't it, really? Yeah, I'll, we'll put it in the resources section because yeah. then what you can do... Dr. Liz, is you can construct your crazy course in the mad laboratory. Um, this sounds amazing already. So I know it's like my... um, when I was going to do my PhD, um, I, I, I fell into architectural history, I suppose, and I um, came up with a subject and I was asked to consult with a database that was held in Leeds by somebody who's in art history. And, I, and the idea is that when you do a PhD, it has to be original thought. So if you consult this database and your subject is already there, then you have to change mm. your subject or do it from a different point of view. And because I know that database is really helpful for me, I was thinking maybe I could create something like that with undergraduate work, like as yeah. a final year project or something. And um, particularly, so we have students who write dissertations. Not every course does that, but I think it would be like a useful resource. And I yeah. think particularly in the COVID environment, because we are, you know, they didn't have a graduation ceremony last year 
And what what does everybody want in life? They want to be recognized. Yeah. They want to be remembered. Yeah. So if I can create something like this, like some kind of um, <clears throat> database with this information in, at least it's a starting point for future researchers. But, I've got it. So that's we're going gonna, on in the lab. I'm, I'm, I, I won't be able to do anything in the lab, but I will build you that lab. <laughs> it's like Breaking Bad yeah. over here, isn't it? Gosh, um, God knows what we'll be cooking up in there. Um, uh, but let's touch upon that briefly, because one of the things when we were first talked about this and, and you give me homework and actually, which I? is, uh, yeah, you give me the other podcast, which I actually enjoyed. It was a really fantastic surprise. Oh, yeah. So I've actually have done resource tech, re research technically on this because I listened to your podcast about your uh, PhD okay. and and the Reba medal. And it was really intriguing. We'll put a link to that underneath this as well. So and what Steve's referring to is I was interviewed by Vivasurvivor.com. <laughs> Which is, what does what is that though? So, because the title sounded like a travel blog. So when you do your um, PhD, you have to have a conversation at the end. That's the exam part, and that's called a viva, uh, which is a Latin uh, word for like this. I don't actually know uh, what it means. Better look it up so I don't look stupid. Um, and um, you you look incredibly smart when I'm interviewing this. So don't worry. <laughs> and um, viva is so this guy who's called Nathan Ryder. He he has his own. Um, PhD, I think it's in mathematics, and he set up this po this like podcast webinar thing uh, called Viva Survivor, and it's designed for people who have to go through a Viva, so who are doing uh. a PhD and they don't know, um, you know, maybe what questions they're going to be asked or, um, you know, how the Viva works. And I was the first student on Viva Survivor who had done a Viva, who had done a PhD part time, so that meant I was of quite in good interest to him. And I did it very quickly. I think probably a month after I did my final my Viva, so it was yeah. it was so it was all quite fresh in your head, really. It's it's interesting. It was it was good, and I enjoyed it. It was what I found fascinating. So let's talk about what the subject was to anyone. Uh, so what did you write your uh, PhD on? Uh, I can see that, but people can't. So, so it's the Reba's gold medal. I worked in. Um, I looked after RIBA awards for London Region in the RIBA, and I wanted to originally write it on the awards, but they were only forty years old. So, uh, the people, I, the academics that I consulted around the time, they said, "Why don't you do it on the RIBA Royal Gold Medal?" Because it started mm. in eighteen forty-eight, so it was actually had quite a long period of time, and mm. nothing had been written about it at all um and so i was like the first person to come in and do serious research and i discovered quite a lot of interesting um facts about it so it's called the royal gold medal but it's not actually made of gold anymore you know i was amazed when you <laughs> dropped that that was a mic drop wasn't uh, it <laughs> which was which was quite interesting um there's a really interesting example of that so richard morris hunt um had a gold medal he was um an american I, I off the top of my head, I can't remember when, but it was like in the early 1900s, 1903, something like that. And he um, he was so, it's either him or Fo Charles Follamer Kim, I can't remember which one, but they, whoever it was, um, they liked the gold medal so much, they wanted to display it. So they had a plaster cast made of it, painted it, you know, with like gold leaf. But obviously the weight of a plaster cast is completely different to the weight of gold medal. Plaster cast is a much lighter thing. Anyway, 
this this uh, cast was given, you know, left somewhere. And when this architect died, um, his I don't know what happened to his effects, but the um, met the um, the uh, museum put it all under lock and key because it was a gold medal. I got right, in touch well, with them okay. when I started researching because one of my tasks was to track down as many medals as possible. And when I was shown photographs of this gold medal in this American museum, it had no hallmark on it. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I asked them to weigh it. And I then had, when they told me how light it was, I then had to share with them that actually that's a plaster cast covered in gold leaf under lock and key, not a real gold medal. Right. So there was a few, and I was, I said, I can remember saying to Neil Jackson, my supervisor, you know, this is quite momentous. Do you think I should actually tell them that the thing that they've got in a case under lock and key is only a plaster cast? And he was like, yes, you have to be honest about this. So, um, wow. yeah, so that was, um, I, I, you know, found kind of those kind of things out. Um, all the, As many living medalists as possible, I got to go and see and interview. So I had 27 minutes with Norma Foster, three hours with Richard Rogers. Uh, wow. I sat on the train with her, so I could admire on. Three hours with Richard Rogers? Yep. Wow. Uh, Long time. And, um, and you know, I, put, I had a contact at the... Um, the Numismatic Society that is a coin um, curator at the British Museum, and he put a piece about the because it's coins and medals they they can um, categorised as in the I don't know the Numismatist magazine, and through that some medal collectors got in touch with me. So it was quite interesting to see where the mm. medals ended up. Not all of them were kept in the family, you know, archives. I, I bumped into somebody um, uh, uh, really early on a, a lecture at the Royal Academy, and he turned out to be the son of Giles Gilbert Scott. Right, okay. wow. And, and Giles wow. Gilbert Scott got the medal, and his grandfather, Sir George Gilbert Scott, got, got his own gold medal. So I went to see them, and I had two gold medals in my hand at one point. That was quite exciting. Um, you know, I Were they uh, really gold, though, Dr. Les? Um, is it gold? Um, yes. The, were they uh, really gold, or they plaster gold, or whatever? Um, um, Sir George Gilbert Scott's is gold, because he got it, here, like, in the ah. 18th. Uh, 1850s. Um, wow. And um, Giles' is also is gold, but not so, you know, like it probably started off about 24 carat and then it was the mint make it and they chop it down every year. And then probably about the 90, I haven't got the exact date to hand, but in the 1970s it was made into silver gilt, which is basically a silver medal covered in gold. Wow. Is there any way that, um, I've got two questions that come okay. to mind. So if anyone wanted to listen, uh, read this or look through this, because I can see you flicking through the copy. Is that the only copy in the world or is it no, online no, no, that no, people you can, can buy it? Um, yeah. Oh, it's here. Yeah, I have it published, my PhD. It's called, oh, it's cool. called History, Design and Legacy. Um, and it was published, um, I think, two, 2009. Uh, the gold medal so the phd only goes up to 2012 but i but, and this is literally the phd just published but i do keep the statistics every year so i do try and um oh that's I, cool because I, you know, I do a lot of forecasting and predictions about who's going to win um so i do try and keep really and, yeah, yeah and also i try and speak at a conference once a year and you need to have the up-to-date statistics so um I, I do have like some pieces of information in there. So yeah, you can get it. You can get it on Kindle now. We put the price, the cover price, I think was about 35 quid for this. And it was yeah. the first book for this publisher that went into three figures for the royalties. 
No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I did a lot of publicity. I, I badgered all the schools of architecture to buy a copy. Well, three figures worth so yeah. much. Oh, yeah. what am I, not six figures? Me. He earned more as well. The publisher. Anyway, you can oh, also wow. get this. I think you can buy it now on Kindle as well. What we'll do after this is I'll get the link for it and we'll and put the link up for anyone. Have, it has pictures. Cool. <laughs> I'll I'll put the link, um, Dr. Liz, at the end of this. If, That's if amazing. If you don't want to buy that because you think it's too expensive, I went to a conference in 2018 and I did a paper about why is it so difficult for women to win the architectural prizes, which started a chain of events like nominating women and that's why Grafton Architects, you know, won gold for Pritzker mm. and the gold medal last year and also Zaha Hadid and O'Donnell and Toomey and various people. And that also got published, the conference paper. So this is a much shorter thing. This is called Going for Gold, looking at the gender imbalance, recipients of major architectural awards and prizes. This is also available online. And this, Ooh. as a book, this was ten pounds. It's probably much less now. Probably about tap and save me, probably. Um, yeah. So this was my um, my uh, conference paper, and the idea was that we were going to publish a conference paper every year. Ah, then COVID came along. <laughs> so, oh wow! <laughs> so no, we didn't. Um, so last year's um, publication that I wrote was a contribution to an international um, thing about COVID. It was like. Um, how are you coping with COVID? And I wrote a paper about communication, so it wasn't anything to do with um, design. Um, this year, I'll probably I'm giving a conference paper at the end of the month, which is about future of architectural practice post-COVID, and I'm speaking tomorrow about design out suicide. So one of those will end up as a publication this year. Well, you've got, you know... Well, you could always, if you run out of ideas, you can you can do one on the, um, the Architecture Social show, right, of the complete... <laughs> The complete drivel of Stephen Drew online, huh? No, because this would be about cultural, um, you know, society and what you're doing with the architecture social is. Oh, okay, you're, cool. You're providing like an uh, an outlet. So I know that there's a whole element to it, which is about recruitment and job availability and kind of the advertisement of that. Actually, explaining the jobs to people rather than just like here, you know, sending it out as an email. Mm. But also, there's an engagement within architecture yeah. and there's a lot of the audience who's students or you know coming back into architecture from from being in practice and i think there is no other platform like this that engages so well that's really sweet that's really sweet because um i'm, I'm glad you appreciate that because it makes it all worth it you know because sometimes it, it can feel like a lot of work but i think such as anything that is a bit extra special. Is a lot of work. I imagine there was a few times doing your PhD when you felt like throwing the book out the window. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I just look up above my head and <laughs> look above me. I'm, I've got a big shelf in my office at home, and it's called The Genius of John Ruskin. This book, right? Okay? And it's basically about his writings. And you know, he was like, you know, an early architect. And John Ruskin was the first person to refuse the gold medal. Really? Okay. okay. So, Okay. And when they made the gold medal, they inscribed the name of the person on the edge. So his medal was made for him, and he refused it. So it had to be melted down and given to someone else. Uh, you know, okay. oh, so wow. no, you know, I dis discovered all that sort of stuff. So every time I think about throwing the towel in, I look up and I see that book, and I think, well, you know, there was all that performance with the medal, and you know, we got through it. So <laughs> can't be that it's bad, true. you know. Yeah, and, and you know what? I mean, I joke. I guess that. Well, I mean, the thing is with the social, 
uh, and especially the live broadcast, because I think let's talk about that a little bit, because that's how we met. I think it's, it's, it's always interesting trying to get the balance between I try to get it informative, but a little bit light and a little bit fun where it's almost and what's great is like for instance you today you and gavin today were having a bit of a conversation which kind of came out of nowhere and that's the kind of point and i i maybe sometimes almost sounds a bit harsh myself but i think you have to sometimes not take yourselves too seriously and that's the bit i try to do with the social of because live streaming you can totally say the wrong things it's like today when i was telling you my one of the beautiful heatherwick buildings in wales and and you're like Seriously, Davis, Richard Rogers, and I'm like, no, 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 he's got this, he's got this brilliant flowing building, and you're like, yeah, so Richard Rogers, and I come off, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's a Richard Rogers building, but you know what, you just sometimes gotta like, you gotta take it on the chin, and um, I'm, and you know what, the reception has been really good actually, and that's what I love, and hopefully the tone I go for is if it can provide a bit of light relief for everyone who's on a lunch break or whatever then brilliant and i think it opens people's eyes up to um you know other 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 people working in the field so today you did a comparison between um a building from thomas heatherwick and a building by rem coolhouse and there yeah. will be people in the room who might have read about rem coolhouse in a magazine but might never have seen a building being discussed in that way and yeah. there might be somebody you know in that audience who's maybe a part two student who wants to work on a skyscraper or, yeah. you know, uh, sorry, that's what we were talking, referencing about with the Rem Coolhouse building. Um, yes. And, um, I, I, you know, you never know what kind of seeds are planted. Yeah. And, and, and the other bit I like as well is that you can go into it as much or as little or as deep as you want. So with the social, I don't always say, that's why I kind of like the, the last week and this week. And I, it seems to be going down a tree is that. You know, we got the badass building yeah. award, yeah. and you know, it's compared to the gold medal. Actually, it's quite ironic we're having this chat because you wrote the, the book on uh, the Reba gold medal, and I'm just saying who gets the badass building award. And I could like your message after. Yeah, I will tell you what, I would be honored, Doctor Layers, if you want to design the Architecture Social Badass Building Award of the Week. Well, like and a then, graphic or something, you mean? Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? A bit of light fun, and um, hey, you know. Um, you know, after um, Prince Charles referenced the carbuncle, do you remember that 1984? Yeah. yeah. So I don't expect you were born, but, you know, because you're so young. Uh, 80, 87 I was born. <laughs> okay. So in 1984, <laughs> Prince Charles made this comment about um, the carbuncle on the face of a much-loved friend. And um, the he was talking about this ex- proposed extension to the National Gallery in London that was going to be by ABK. And the outcry, you know, the out fallout from that was like huge. But anyway, as a result of that, BD, as in Building Design Magazine, they set up an award called the Carbuncle Award, which is given to the ugliest building. Oh, I know, I know, but very well because I worked at EPR Architects and they got it once. And and you know what was really a bit of a difficult one? They were really good about it because actually. They didn't design the building. They did the executive architecture. I, I teach when I teach students. I believe that I should just like almost open Pandora's box of architecture and show to the students. So obviously, I work through themes because I can't do everything in you know one, one go. But and and that might be periods or it might be a specific theme. But I give them good and bad. So I when I talked about postmodernism because that's the period in which 1984, the year falls, 
I referenced that the Carbuncle conversation uh, speaking mm. to Prince Charles, and then I also referenced the Carbuncle Cup. So those, you know, my students are exposed to this is fantastic design, and this is Carbuncle level. Do you know what, though? There's so many buildings which are quite awful, which don't make it into the Carbuncle Cup. And then on the other hand, I saw, like, I live in Lewisham, yeah? And one of the Lewisham towers was in the Carbuncle Cup. And I'm just like, are you serious? If you go down to Catford, it gets a lot worse. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, these guys have had a bad time because, yeah, it's not perfect. But what it did is it still added a lot to the community. And, 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 and there was nothing there before. And, you know, sometimes you've got the argument of, I live in Lewisham, it, it, it is huge gains to the gentrification. But, okay, it wasn't the most um, profound design, but it served a purpose. And I thought, compared to some, it wasn't that bad. Because sometimes you look at the awards and you're like, okay, I see why you got the car bunker. Yeah, there was. I think it was by. Um, I was by PRP. It was the the one near the station. Oh, Lewisham Gateway. Yeah, I know this. Yeah, yeah. I felt. I felt it was a little bit harsh. Um. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's super car. I'm glad it didn't win because there's a, there's a lot more serial offenders around. Oh, there you go. I've got my little thing here. You know, way more, way more, way more worse ones out there than the Lewisham Gateway. You know what I mean? Because like sometimes you think, ah, oh, I don't, I don't know, but it's very interesting. I, mean, I, and- I do give a lecture that's about. It's called Pride and Prejudice, and it's about subjectivity, bias, and uh, prejudice in architecture. And mm. what we're discussing is quite subjective, isn't it? And particularly when you start looking at awards, that's very, very subjective. It's you know, and it depends on who wrote what about whom. Well, do you know what what you're what you're talking about transcends even just buildings. Though it can let's talk about where recruitment. What I do, you can get massive. Um, what was the word? Subjective biases. Yeah. That, yeah. And is and I think a really good talking point on that is pictures of people, individuals in CVs, because it can either go down a tree, yeah, or it, it or it almost detracts from someone getting a job. And it's not malicious, but the person who's looking at it will always have a bit of um, a subconscious bias. It's And and, and I think um, it was interesting because, uh, you know, Jack Pringle, he yeah. talked about on Twitter, actually, he did a course on so, um, these and these biases that they weren't even aware of. Yeah. And it was interesting because he was like, I'm surprised because I thought I didn't have biases and clearly I do. And I don't think anything grand, but what he was saying is everyone could benefit from it. But on the other end of the scale... I've done recruitment for councils and, you know, it gets to the point when you send in the CV through and especially in the council and they, the, the the standard procedure is removing references to he, she throughout the CV. And I think that's a little bit far because I always feel like it's the best person for the job. It's a shame you get biases, and but the work represents itself. But it's definitely a minefield because it's sometimes it's like, how far do you go with that? Because when you reference, it was funny because I submitted one CV and when I had to ref- take out the references for he, she, I felt like it looked like one of them crossword puzzles in the, you know, in the newspaper with big gaps everywhere because you couldn't say anything. And actually what was then upsetting about that is that the CV, it detracted from the CV because the person's constantly seeing the gaps. And therefore that person was actually at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, against having 
their gender in there. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, we are now on a, you know, we, we're, we're moving forward in architecture terms into equality almost. You know, more women are coming through. I just looked at the statistics Great. for our years in Trinity St. David and, you know, the new intake that will come hopefully, you know, at the end of the summer is is 50-50 men, women. And that's yeah. the first time I've ever seen that. Um, so, you know, all the work that I've been doing on gender is like, it's worked out basically. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter is the next thing. So there's quite a lot of black architect groups on Twitter who are quite active. Good. And um, yeah. the RIBA have appointed somebody who's the head of change. So I think they are moving, you know, validation and coursework and those kind of things. It's going to come through an education for more non-white architects. You know, David Ajay has just been given yeah. gold medal anyway. Um, and that's great. And I know, um, you know, there's some female black architects. I'm based in Cardiff here who are working. And then the next one after that will probably be, you know, looking at mental health in that area. Um, so there are these changes afoot and um, things are happening and changing slowly. You know, like you just referenced about the he, she pronoun. I think that the he, she, they pronoun, that will come in as well, you know, possibly in the next phase after... Um, uh, non-white architecture yeah do you know what it's um i think that architecture has come a long way especially in the time that i a was in industry um actually epr architects where i work they were pretty good anyways uh, they were really good at it but what i would say having worked in recruitment now for seven years is that there is a massive push and impetus and importance with equality diversity and actually culture and practices because i do think that architectural practices will um a slow adapter in certain ways you know there are examples of good employers but then you can also get like sucked into long hours you can get sucked into these certain cultures and and i think what's it was being interesting over time and i saw a fantastic chat by almost like another head of change a role at stride treglown and they talked about it that actually making people work less hours, keeping the staff engaged. What was interesting is then suddenly, if by looking after the welfare of the staff, there were less sick days, there were less people leaving, and then you had you had, you don't have to pay so much pesky recruiters like me all the time to find someone else. This, it gets expensive trying to find someone. You know what I mean? This, is there a, a movement afoot? I think it's in Norway to have a four-day week when you work longer hours because people are valuing their free time more do you know well because i mean you you're running your own architectural practice so while everyone can't see the video feed right now i can see that you're in your fantastic office with your whiteboard behind you but the thing is a lot of people are not working in um at home permanently people have been um what's that doctor so anyone because remember it's audio only so what am i looking at a your plans and um, drawings. So this is um, a building. It's in um, it's in Neath, and it's um, it's having a refurb and um, new entrance. And it's, um, it was a pub. Now it's doing takeaway food. And this is the bits that fell off the printer. So I just spent basically put these together on my whiteboard, and then I have them as a backdrop so people think that I can draw. And that is. Well, you can draw. You're a, yeah, I mean, I, I know, can. I've, you're, I've, you're being harsh on yourself. I've learned this year. I, I, you know, I never had learned it before because drawing wasn't um, a requisite of anything that I did. But I, I taught myself AutoCAD. Um, 
and that was because I work in a collaboration with someone else, and that was the program they used. Um, I'm a bit nervous about Revit. Uh, you know, that's been referenced a few times on the architecture social. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. Well, it, 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 <laughs> It is it is really important for people working in, in practices, but that's what I was just going to get at because you're working at home in an office environment yeah. right now. But you talked about a four day week, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And I and I think not even so much a four day week. There's going to be a big culture shock soon because uh, let's say hypothetically, and everyone has a different viewpoint that um, coronavirus. We've got the lockdown in March that's hopefully going to be lifted. There's going to be talks about people going back to the office. But what I would say is when the coronavirus landed. There was a lot of architectural practices, I'm sure, that felt, holy moly, how are we going to keep going when we can't go into the office? You need to be in an office to make an architectural practice work. And what's, what's interesting is that so many people have worked at home and they realize that we can do it. So I think the big culture shift isn't to a four-day week. I think that a lot of people on the back of this are going to want to work two, three days in the office two, three days at home. Do you know what I mean? So I mean, what, what I'm but, seeing here is that more and more people are looking for home office space. So yeah. they're either having an extension built or yeah. they're converting a loft into a bedroom yeah. and then converting that bedroom into a home office. All the, yeah. There was a big push here in city centres for uh, office space, and that's now being defunct and being t- changed into housing stock. But that's a big problem to change an office building because obviously you don't have the right services and everything has yeah. to be sorted out. Um, and I mean, I, I had a was a, on a webinar actually with the engineers, um, you know, structural engineers a couple of weeks ago, and um, there was a speaker there who was talking about he had to go back into the office to collect something, and his team of twenty four were all happily working at home. And he went into the office, and then he was confronted by rows and rows of like desks with the big screens and everything. And he looked at this, and he was like did I used to work here? And if for him, he said it was just a sort of moment where all of this p- team is now happily working at home, and he's, but he's got this office that's sort of sitting there doing nothing. And you, yeah. you do read a lot of um, offices here, uh, you know, not architectural practices, but you know, just office stock in general. Yeah. They are, um, all the people are working from home, or when they go in, they're such a reduced staff because of the coronavirus. So less people are going in at one time, and they've got empty rooms, and they're turning those rooms into service meeting spaces well this is it i think you've hit the nail on the head i think the offices of the future and this is my prediction could be right could be wrong i reckon what we'll see is exactly what you said of the floor plan will be halved or whatever and you'll have let's say hypothetically me and you have an office of 100 desks Mm. i reckon the office of the future will be 30 to 40 desks and four to five meeting rooms or five to six meeting rooms and they will be so you wave and you go in, you don't touch anything. Fabrics will be antibacterial, you know, self-cleaning bathrooms. That's the bit I'm looking forward to the most, actually, self-cleaning bathrooms. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm doing this paper at the end of the month, which is about the future of architectural practice post-COVID. And um, a lot of the things that I've just sort of said are in that because I had, I've already done the research for that. Yes, that's the AIA, American Institute you send me a link to that and we'll put that in this as well. But I, I reckon you're right. And the other interesting bit you mentioned, which is true, and it would be my psychology as well, because the idea of, let's say now I was looking for a flat. I mean, I live in a two-bedroom flat in London at the moment. But say now, you know, it all went well. I win the lottery. <laughs> or the, arch- the Architecture Social gets sponsored by Autodesk. 
or something like that. Let's say now something like wonderful happens and I get a windfall and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be looking for a house or anything. Before, it's like, as you said, it would just be bedrooms and all this stuff. But now it would be like, what's the, where's the office, you know? Yeah. Where's, the, where's that going to be? I mean, I, it's important. I don't work on new build, but I think that three bedroom houses in new build will become replaced with two bedroom and a home office, dedicated home office. I speak to so many people and they won't turn their camera on because they're sitting at the edge of the kitchen table and their husbands are third off in the third bedroom. I've got it down now. So what you're seeing me now is this used to be my gaming PC because I'm a bit of a geek, as you learned today with my World of Warcraft in the live stream. Right. Yeah. So this, so I'm lucky because because of the, the power of gaming PCs is so good for streaming and all this stuff, yeah. you know, and especially as an architect. You can run all desk and Revit and or a desk you run AutoCAD and run Revit. Yeah. But the other one I've got is the my laptop in my uh, guest bedroom. <laughs> I get I say guest bedroom loosely because until the coronavirus <laughs> is over, no it one's going to be coming, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bedroom. But um, I quite like it psychologically because what I find is I'm less like it's. I've got less impetus to work. I have to really force myself if I'm going to be working on my gaming PC because it's in my bedroom. But what I quite like in the morning is going to the other room, Dr. Liz, which is the guest bedroom, because I psychologically, it's the the room of torture. <laughs> I mean, work. I, right, but, you know. And, Don't you find um, it, it's, sort of, it's a bit like going into your desk in the, you know, the office that you used to work in. You know, you actually yeah. have a physical space to go to and, if you have it set up like, you know, in the in the right places where things are in the right, you know, or in, like, you know, I now I when I was in an office environment, I worked with two screens. But prior to that, I only had a laptop at home. And now that I'm working more at home, I'm, I've set up, you know, I repainted my office in the last lockdown because I made my I know I wasn't here when it happened. Um, mm. I uh, got my a second screen in. I sorted out all my audio equipment. I, I became aware very quickly that I was going to work from home more. So I made it be possible to work from home. And I actually have an office in which you can get into. I don't have stuff full of crap on the floor anymore. Wonderful. I sorted out all my books, all my reference material. Everything is to hand. So um, this is like walking into my – if you came into my house and you saw this desk, it would be like it was in the office, the big offices. Exactly the it's same way it's interesting. So, because I've worked in an actual practice, and I'm, you know, in terms of what I do, it outside. Um, so, outside of work, I focus on the architectural social, and and my social life, which is the same <laughs> at the moment. Which it feels like the same. <laughs> yeah, but then in the in the day, I was so at McDonald Company. I lead uh, an architecture team, and um, that shrunk a little bit because of COVID. You know, it's, there is just less architectural jobs out there. What's interesting is there's more in January, but I manage two people at the moment, Will, who oh, you yeah. know, um, the fantastic Will, and um, is a really experienced consultant called Stephen Glanson. And what's interesting is with recruitment, a lot of it is all communication-based anyway. So what I found is that you can just do the job at home. And what's going to be really interesting is that whole thing of what we're talking about of returning to work. And what I will say quickly, because I don't want to, I'll keep the focus. I'm more interested in your office. I'm more interested in architecture. I'm more interested in in your dog. And we're going to jump onto that next. But before that, what I would say is I used to spend hours, Dr. Liz, in the morning getting ready 
an hour to get into 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 work, <laughs> dolling up myself in the mirror, you know, putting on all my size thirty four jeans, and now I like I need to diet for a few months to get back in them. But it would take an hour to get there, and so me and Will, we would always work hard. And, you know, I basically clock off at six. I'd normally stay till like half six, seven sometimes. Then getting home at eight, my whole day's gone, right? And what's really interesting now is that I basically work nine to six. Sometimes I work till seven or whatever. But I'm cutting out that two-hour commute. And I still think there's a place for the office. And leading a team, you do need to go in and you do need to see people face by face. But my question is, five days a week, do you well, really need to be in I'm, the office I mean, that much? I've been self-employed, and now Architecture Matters is my own business. So you put in the hours that you need. I mean, I was on site on Monday, went to see a potential new client, and then I've done teaching Tuesday, Wednesday, and then tomorrow a bit of teaching and a bit of external lecturing, a couple of networks tomorrow, and then I'm back on site on Friday and with my collaborator. So my, my day, my week changes according to the workload. And... Yeah. Um, I think um, I think you have to be more flexible in this situation. You know, I before yeah. I, I've been in, I've been living in Wales for twelve or thirteen years this year. Um, I originally come from South London, and I when I worked at the RIVA in London, central London. So you're the reverse of me because I'm Welsh and I live in South London. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so I'm from <laughs> London, living in Wales. Yeah. Um, so um, I, you know, I lived in South London, and I used to commute into the RIVA, and that was an hour and a half. On a, on a good day yeah. and then again you know so that's a three-hour journey isn't it back back to back you know round trip when you're to add on to the workload the work day of work yeah. which is what six seven hour day so and and living here when i i mean the part of the reason that i moved here was because i was promoted by the riba to run the rscw which is the royal society of architects in wales and that is part of the riba but that's what it's called in wales and the office was 20 minute walk from my, where I bought a house. So, uh, um, part of the, a nice part life, of the basically. reason I moved here was the job, but also because it meant I could get on the housing ladder. Yeah. And well, this is, this is a big thing because I mean, the flat that I bought in London, uh, you know, I, I, I still only own a third of it because it's on the shared ownership scheme, mm-hmm. but it was a massive leg up because no other, at the, at the time, you'll appreciate this. I was a part one, right? And I cobbled together enough money, God knows how. For like um for uh for the basically the deposit I think it was like fifteen grand. My parents helped me a lot. They helped me with the furniture and everything because I was skint. But basically, I cobbled together enough money to get to buy a flat. The a mortgage of the flat, and the, at the time, the flat was worth two hundred and thirty thousand. I could only afford a third, so my mortgage was for seventy grand. Right now, it's worth like nearly half a million because London's just gone through the roof. Yeah, yeah. And so I own a third of that, which is great. But to buy the other two thirds, it's just you know well, I, I don't I, did a I don't even want to go for it. A couple of years ago, and I can remember I was the only speaker from outside of London, and I can remember being asked by somebody like one of the other speakers when we sat down for question Q and A about you know where did I live, how much did it cost to live there, and I, and I was like, well, I live in a three bedroom mid terrace property, and when I bought it, it was on the market for one three nine. Wow. <laughs> And obviously I got it less than that because I negotiated. But, you know, and this person, I can remember them looking at me like, you know, jaw drop. And I was like, well, that's just how it is. The price is outside of London. Yeah. But then, yeah. you know, I have I have everything I need here. You know, I have a good community here. I can work online. I've got a good links. You know, I do a bit of teaching now. 
and I still go back to London, well, before COVID, I went back to London, you know, and see friends and family. So I'm 20 minutes from the beach here, you know, take the dog, bye. Let's talk about that briefly. So <laughs> when uh, this, so talking about dogs, so I've got my Dexter, and let me just paint a picture because I think this is an interesting point around the theme. Because what we, I think we talked about home offices, we talked about a few other things. So I had a fantastic a puppy called Dexter. He's now four years old, and I, I used to run my own recruitment business. And so during that time, so before I moved to McDonald Company, I ran my own recruitment business. And I used to rent a WeWork. I used to think I was so cool. We were all going around with our Pret lattes, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then I had my Boston Terrier, you know, for it was cool as cucumber. And um, for one reason or another, I just, I um, me and my business partner at the time, we went our separate ways. And so I worked on myself for a little bit and I could work at home like you. And it was really easy with the dog. But then I, I went to McDonald's and the company and they are really good employers. But, you know, the policy was not, dogs in the office and fair enough because i think one or two people were allergic yeah. right and so it had this really awkward scenario where i'm like i can't fully look after my dog i love my dog it's, it's not going to be fair i was like i'm not going to have pay lock my dog up and pay for someone to pop around for an hour um it's just not the life but luckily my parents in wales look after him classic thing with my parents no way don't want a dog don't want a dog and now now it's like my dad and mum's best friend you know what i'm saying you know classic story and they're really great and they look after him but i think um if you were not working at home it definitely makes it more challenging as a dog owner doesn't it because then it becomes not fair for the dog sometimes do you know what i mean because you're not supposed to leave a dog for longer than i think it's four or five hours on their own and dogs can't tell the time but they can you know see when the the, mm. the light goes and the shadows come mm. and i think it's not fair really so lutchens who's my dog who's named after edwin lutchens the architect um he and he's i've had him four and a half years and he is has come to work with me wherever possible um and when i, I worked in a couple of small architectural practices and he's come with me and they christen him the head of security because whenever a visitor comes he jumps up hello hello We call him like head of security because he's very enthusiastic with visitors. Um, and mm. then when I've worked in a role where I couldn't take a dog to work, I've got up and walked in first, and then I've had a dog walk with me at lunchtime. And that's, I mean, that was good, but it was just a different thing. And I think he, it's, he didn't like it. It's that not the much. same, is it? He loves it yeah. now because, you know, I'm here all the time. <laughs> and my yeah. role in life elections is just to take him out, it's not to earn any money, <laughs> keep him in biscuits. Oh, it's it's sweet. I mean, I, I, I as a dog owner, I think it's 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 a relationship which is so strong. But I mean, and but I'm happy as much as I'd love Dexter around. And there's the you know there's times when you think, oh, in this lockdown, I could have my dog back. But actually, my dog um, Dexter, I see him all the time. When I do pop down, I see him, and you can tell the bond's still there because, like you said, my dog has borderline an epileptic fit when he sees me, and I go ah, and you know, there's a part of me that still yeah. loves that. But my parents are amazing and they take him for walks on the beach like you talked about every day. Every day, Dexter gets a walk at 10. He's got his routine. My mum lectures me on how to do it. I'm like, mum, you know, I did bring him up for like two years before you did. Do you know what I mean? I, he survived. I mean, it, he survived. You know, you actually, know? when you're in central London or, you know, like in a, in a London where you live, you don't see that many dogs. You see quite a lot of cats. 
And I think it might be because the, there are parks, but they're perhaps not so widely accessible for dogs. And, you know, like if you were in, mm. say, Hyde Park, there's quite a lot of tourists in Hyde Park. Would you feel comfortable letting your dog off the lead there? Perhaps not. Yeah, it, no? it's a good question because I had a park near me, and and also the other thing is you couldn't necessarily go to the park all the time, and then you're kind of just taking your dog for a walk around the road, which isn't yeah. as good, so you know. And so it's about where he goes to the toilet. He won't go to the toilet on a hard surface, so I have to go to the park. You know, really? Yeah, we got a wow. Park, we got a park like half a mile away, so and and you know when I go out. If I, if I take him as much as possible to see people, visits, you know, when I was in a previous architectural practice, he had a site coat made for him and he used to come on site visits with me. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I need to see a picture of that. I, we, so, we need to get, oh, do you know what we should do? Because, you know, we did that um, interesting thread on the, the social web. We should everyone post their desks, including yeah. yourself. We should get one like post your pet. That would be really cool. Well, I, wouldn't thought, it? I thought that was really interesting because Tim saw who's photographer he he did a, um, a series of um pictures for i think it was for the aj a couple of years ago probably about 10 years ago now um and he basically went around all the big practices and took pictures of their offices and the, the architects that work and it was quite an interesting series because you actually got to see behind like yeah. you know, the front of, of say foster and partners or terry farrell you got to see people at work and then you see and then when you see that you can immediately understand how their ethos is and how the teams work and that kind of thing and then when you, you yeah. posted pictures of your desk up and i was like well this this conference that i'm doing at the end of the month we you know because it's relevant to my paper which is about the future of architectural practice i have put a picture of my desk in the presentation so i'm not frightened of showing off my desk yeah and i thought that was really interesting um it was nice maybe yeah. you know maybe we should make um you know some kind of e- ebook out of it or you know some online exhibition or something like that because we've got the material or you sorry you, yeah. you, you should make it because you've got the architecture social and you've run it and it's your <laughs> oh well, you're really sweet but you know do you know what i want to i want to take less responsibility I, I, do you know what you you appreciate i just just before this i've got permission as well so the background on um the architectural social is by this fantastic guy called joel wallace and so he's given me permission that i'm going to do a print of his work okay and so what i've what i've got as well is you know qr codes normally i hate them but i've managed to find a really stylish way to get a stylish qr code so that it'll be a painting and what i'm going to do is have it on the back of the wall of my stream yeah, which yeah. would be really nice but then i'm thinking what i'm doing is like a competition every month for the students they get their work on it, and then it links to the their architectural social where people can see their whole portfolio. And as well as that, then I'd like to, if I can work it out, to give them a percentage of the profits yeah. so that they're rewarded for their work because I think it would be a bit of fun and it's not been done before. But that's what I'm going to work on. If I start doing this ebook, Dr. Liz, I might I mean, have I can a fair- put the ebook into the lab and work on it in there if you like. Oh yeah, there you go. Oh, do you know what you can? Do you know what it's mad? You can. Uh, I have to let you. Um, well, I use a graphics program what? for a lot of clients, and um, mm. you know when I'm putting together work, because I want to present it professionally. Mm. And so I, I would be putting together something like that. You know, like I don't know, in something in a program and making it look professional. Well, I think it sounds great. I'm, and you know, the architecture social. 
I like to use the analogy of the Fun Palace. And the, in the precarious exact bit about the Fun Palace is that it never got built because it was too ambitious. But I, I, but I kind of like the idea of... Um, I loved... That was part one of the f- projects that I really took to heart studying architecture because by Cedric Price, isn't it? Who was amazing. Okay. I, thought, I, think, I think it's genius. But the Fun Palace was this idea of if basically... It was this concept which they did for this theatre production, but it was a framework which would adjust based on the participants and what they do. And so I guess what I'm trying to say with the architecture social is when I set it up, it was originally in this core idea to help students, right? But then organically yeah, over time... Not yeah, but I think what I love is that, well, we're always learning as people, yeah. right? Uh, and what I quite like is that it's not just for students, it's for everyone in architecture and it's for anyone that wants to talk about anything. Because you know I sent and out some invites and the first invite who joined was Alan Jones, who's currently the president of the RIPA. Yeah, I know. That scared me a lot when he joined. When he joined, this scared me. I felt like a kid. <laughs> my fault. I felt like some. I felt like someone coming around for a hot date or whatever, and my room was messy. I was like, "Make it look tidy, Alan's coming." <laughs> well, I you know, actually just... said to him, "You need to get in this. You need to join this because it's fun, and this is what's the future. You know, this is what's happening in architecture. And if you want to be like, you know, at the forefront of like the new the new wave or looking at new projects or even looking for staff, this is where you need to be." And he was like, okay, oh, that's sweet. You know, so I think that's why he came in. Oh, it's so sweet. I mean, I, I quite like that. And the other bit that I'm quite proud of is that employers and companies can talk directly to students and vice versa. And I quite like that relationship of, um, you know, showcasing work yeah. and also practices talking about what they're looking for and, and kind of having that dialogue, I think, I think is really good. What I was going to say now, Dr. Liz, is and sorry, are you right? I keep calling you Dr. Liz. Liz, <laughs> okay. Dr. Liz. Uh, I was gonna just yeah. tell you, you say this talking about the Fun Palace. My um undergraduate and postgraduate dissertations are about palaces, but medieval ones, no. so yeah. So, well, the Fun Palace is very di- it didn't get built, so no. don't worry, it's not. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And what I was yeah. gonna say was maybe we can pick up another podcast about a particular topic, yeah. We talked yep. about books on shelf. We'll do that. I think this has been a really nice intro chat and we're kind of like going around the hour mark, which is a really nice time. Okay. Um, what I would say is I, I, I ask all it's, I ask all the questions, but it seems a bit unfair for that. Was there any Why questions that you'd Will like to ask me? I have a session with you and we'll interview you. Oh no, Will works for me. It's gonna just totally yeah. Okay, I'm up for it. You know, we can't hide anything. I just like, uh oh, I'm in for trouble um, there. The cause... only question I'd just say to you, which was actually raised today in the um in the uh, lunchtime social, was about mm-hmm. not being so London centric. Yeah, good point. It's hard because I'm in London. And... Yeah, I th- I know that, and I've been. Don't forget, I worked for the RIBA in London. And I've yeah. worked for the RIBA outside of London. And when you're outside, it's easier to understand this London-centric thing. And when you're in London, you can't see it. So I, I completely understand. I just, it's just, it would be great to have some things other than in London. That's all. What about my Shanghai building? That was yeah, cool, yeah, though, right? Yeah. I mean, today, I think, uh, I think, uh, and also the roundabout. Oh, that was, that was. <laughs> I, that was a little bit tongue in cheek because I know we we have a giggle. Um, 
You're right. Do you know what, though? It raised an interesting point because one of the challenges is with the social is that I like that people can do as little or as much as they want, right? If someone's passionate about doing a book club, great. I'll get behind it. But I can't do that because I've never orchestrated a book club and my passions lie in making the framework. And I think the thing is with that, I spoke to Rachel who joined the book club and Rachel's fantastic because she's American, right? So she literally comes in and we're all Brits and you're the right, you're totally right. And one of the things to learn to the book club straight away and, and which is fun is I was like, everyone, we've got to be fair to Rachel. We can't bang on about part one and part two because it's it's like, it's not even London centric then. It's like Reba centric or British centric. And um, architecture is global, isn't it? So yeah. you're completely right. But I think what what the, the what would be helpful with that is like yourself. You're a humble reminder of my green green grasses roots of home, right? But I think I think where it will come from, hopefully, is more and more people in the social from everywhere bringing their culture. And that's yeah, like yeah. in the criteria when you sign up. I say, where are you from? Partly because I'm interested. And I'm up for anyone can join the social. The bit, the questions at the start, which kind of dictate if you come in or not, is more there to get a little bit of a glimpse of an understanding. So if someone, when they signs up, reels off a paragraph about their the the tile membranes that they're selling and how they can't wait to tell architects about PVC, you ain't getting in. But I don't I don't care if you're on the Mars or you're in London or wherever. I don't care if you're in the Bartlett. I don't care if you're in any university. You're totally welcome. You know, I, I, but I, I know when I came to Wales 12, 13 years ago, I was told there wasn't any decent architecture here. And actually, you know, looking at what we brought through for our IVA awards and the shortlisted schemes, I know that's not true anymore. So there are good yeah. projects. I mean, certainly here, I don't see all the other regions. But And, and one of the things I, you know, I, I keep the statistics of the gold medal winners, but I also keep all the statistics of our IVA award entries just for reference, mm. really. And so if you said to me, let's look at what was a hit 25 years ago and see how well it's performed, say, you know, in one of your building comparisons with Will, I can easily find you two things that are not in London. I would love it. Well, you're doing a fantastic job of helping us, and that's a nice, humble <laughs> reminder. And go, Steve, get out of your blaming, blaming London box. I've got to run the job too, haven't I? So I can't. I, you know, like you, I'm trying to you, juggle a load of plates. You you do enough. I just quite like it when, like today, it was, we were talking this about this briefly on the on the live stream. I'm like, yeah, I love that fantastic Everwork project in, in Wales, the one. And you're like, no, it's Richard Rogers, oh, And I'm like, please, it's Everwork. No, 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 actually. And that's what you said <laughs> on the thing. It came up. No, no, she, no. But, yeah, do you know what was really interesting, though, is because I can pull him up, but what was the thing about the broadcast is you get it like 20 seconds after yeah. I say it because of the way it works. And therefore, um, it can be discombobulating for me because I'm live. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes I get the wrong end of the stick. But I think it's all good fun. Dr. Liz, you're absolutely fantastic. I really am um, super thrilled that you're you're part of the social. And like you said, our day jobs are first and all this stuff. But if we keep in the spirits of good fun and you can give more, me a kick you know, up the if ass. If more people come in and who are interested in different things, then it will grow, won't yeah. it? No. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because it's not, no one's got obligations, but bring what you're passionate yeah. about. Yeah. And, I've, and I think that that's uh, I can't part wait of the for key. The dungeons and Architects and Dragons to start because I haven't played wargaming in years. <laughs> but I'm quite excited by that. 
Yeah, that's true. We do have a Dungeons and Dragons, and then people can join in. And I'm tempted to be. Um, I fancy a warlock. Do I have to I fancy a sixteen-sided dice? No, the the chap who's doing it named Ben. Yeah. He's made it all easy for us. It's going to be on Zoom, okay, okay. and we literally rock up. And I, I'm going to try and be as little as annoying as possible with saying stuff like, am I allowed to say this or that? I'm going to try and role play, but then also not to um, derail it too much. Are Do you know what gonna, I'm saying? Are you going to know who everybody is when you've got a character or are you... You know, if we got to work out who everybody is. I don't know. I think what he's going to do is we set the characters, we sub- submit it, and then we'll have profiles and stuff. So then I'm going to have a backstory of, like, you know, a stride. Well, I can't say stride because that's from Lord of the Rings, but, you know, it'll be something like Grimson, Grimson's past. Do you know what I mean? Tormented so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it because it's like a new group of community, which is what the architecture socialist new people like you, that I wouldn't, I would never yeah. have met you. Unless I had yeah. fallen into this hole of the Arctic, yeah, yeah. on you and the rabbit's hole, <laughs> the, the the spiral, the downward spiral. Know, but you know, <laughs> and it's like I think it would be a great, a great thing, a great adventure, really, to do it. And then if it works, more people will want to participate, and then eventually it will just run itself, won't it? Sounds good. I best be on my best behavior in that group, not to not for no, everyone no, 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 to flock no. away. Just after hours, we can all have a beer and let our hair down. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Liz. I will post everything here. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And don't hang up just yet, Dr. Liz. I'm going to press the stop button now, and hopefully we will still be here, and hopefully the files will not be lost, because otherwise I'm going to throw myself out of the bridge, and you can put me in your next paper. Thank you very okay. much.